Hello, this is Lyle Phillips, Senior Pastor at Iris Nashville, and I would like to personally thank you for downloading and listening to our podcast each week. To find out more information about Iris Nashville, you can find us online at irisnashville.com. Thanks, and God bless. So for those of you guys who are visiting tonight, we kind of have a little slogan here where we say, we're not just a ministry, we are a... Yeah, so that's what we're going for because we believe that heaven is highly relational. Anybody else in here agree with that? Yeah, yeah you got the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, right? Looks like perfect love, perfect honor, perfect friendship, and perfect family to me. So I'm really excited that I have one of my brothers here tonight, one of my family members in the spirit, Jason Peaks, who I know so many of you guys in the room are very fond of, right? And his wife, Danielle, is with us, which I'm super stoked about because we get the whole gang. And uh, their daughter, Mercy, which I don't see her. She, did she go down? Oh, Paige is with her. Okay, yeah. That's great. So I'm excited to have him come tonight because uh, Jason is somebody who, like, leapt into my heart, right? He didn't, like, knock on the door. I mean, he just, he pulled a kick door, you know? It was just like, boom. He was just right into my heart from day one. When you guys came last year, uh, we met. And the first thing I remember noticing about Jason was just the humility that he carries and the meekness that's on his life. And so I was so excited to connect with somebody that was just so nice. How many of you guys know that the first thing somebody notices about you is not the great anointing that's on your life? It's whether or not you're nice. Because I don't really want to be friends with people who are not nice. Anybody else in here? <laughs> and that's one of the first things I, I noticed about Jason. I was like, this guy's so nice. I just have to know him. I have to love him. And then uh, we started a book club, which uh, all the members were too. It was me and him. And so we, we kind of passed back books back and forth and read books together, which was great. And so now it's come full circle. A year later, and I can honestly say Jason's one of my best friends. Like probably... <coughs> in a small, small, small circle of pastors that I know and I'm connected with because we probably talk every day. We literally text every day. BFFs, bro, forever. So would you guys stand with me and welcome my dear friend Jason Peaks as he comes to bring the word. Hey, can we pray for you real quick? I want to do that. So as you guys are sitting down, we just want to pray for Jason as he prepares to minister and just bless him. Because one of the things that's super important to me is that Jason knows that he's not a guest here. Dee knows she's not a guest here. You guys are home because you guys are family. So we just pray over uh, Jason and Dee. Uh, but Jay, as Jason prepares to bring the word tonight, God, we just draw on the gift that he is to the body of Christ. And we just declare that this is a safe place for him to happen completely. The fullest expression of who God has created you to be, Jason. We put a demand on that tonight, and we welcome it here. In fact, we acknowledge our need of it, bro. And so we say, bless you. And uh, Jesus bless Jason. Amen. 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 Awesome, dude. Love you, bro. Love you, too. Sweet. Well, I feel like I can't. I don't have enough space or something. I don't know. No, okay, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I think one's good. Um, so I don't know a lot of you, um, but I do know about the other third probably. Um, so my name is Jason Peaks. I'm from Regent University uh, where I get to serve as the director of campus ministries there, which is like the campus pastor. That's the best way I can explain it. And so we have brought um, 41 students here this week to love on the city. Raise your hand if you're one of the Regent kids. And uh, we came here last year and we just had an incredible time of ministry and we just really uh, fell in love with, with Iris and, and Legacy now. Um, I, I want to tell a quick story uh, about my experience uh, last year um, because I, I feel like it's, it's going to tie everything into it. But um, my wife is here, so can you can she stand real quick? Stand up. This is my wife, Danielle, and um, I'm really married up. It's it's an amazing thing, and you know we're the proud parents of two kids, one on the way. Um, so that's super awesome. Yeah, um, and then our our first daughter, her name is Mercy, and we love her so much. She's she's a funny kid, and um, she's probably playing with all your kids or something. Um, 
I also want to just say uh, a quick little honor. My youngest brother is here. Stand up, buddy. I love him. He, uh, so weird thing, my middle brother moves here five years ago. Then my youngest brother moves here, what, two years ago? Three? Three. And, um, and so I'll be honest, we came to Nashville last year sort of because I knew my family was here. Um, but it ended up being really a, a remarkable thing. And he lives here in Nashville, my middle brother. Uh, I'm going to tell part of his story as the message. I just want to warn you. I have been crying for days, and uh, it's very possible, so uh, I'm feeling it, like, pretty intensely uh, right now, and um, which actually is where I want to start, uh, because we were uh, in the building right next door uh, about one year ago to this, this exact date, and we, when we were in that, that building, we had this amazing time of worship, and Pastor Lyle came up, and he basically was like, hey, whatever is like the thing that you've done the most in worship, take like one step more. Now, I grew up in a church that pretty much almost anything can happen. So I'm literally thinking at this point in my life, I'm 31 years old and I'm thinking, I don't think I've done like any gymnastics. So I might have to go there. Like in my mind, that's what I thought. I'm like, either I'm gonna somersault across the room or cartwheel, I don't know what's gonna happen. And um, I was just, Lord, I literally was like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And um, so in this moment when I was here, the Lord very, very clearly said to me, Jason, I want you to take your jacket off. Now, for me, that is a extremely big deal because I am a man of probably 50 jackets. <laughs> I love jackets. I don't know what it is. And so last year, around the same time, I was wearing this green jacket wow. and I took that jacket off in that season, and it really changed something. The only way I can explain it is that it was like a shell, in some senses, was broken off of my life. Like, not to say that God wasn't doing amazing things at Regent, he was, but it was like this shell, and I'm not 100% everything that it was, but I knew a lot of it had to do with um, feeling the need for, like, dignity and understanding and appreciation, and it was just like this thing that was on me, and I just... I literally threw off the jacket and I danced like a wild man, which someone who was in the crowd recorded and sent to my wife. Like one of her college friends was here and was like, I'm filming Jason and he's dancing like a maniac. And I mean, I still have the video. Um, and so since then, like even at Regent, like the joke is, it's like the jacket's off. Like, um, because there is something that I do believe that God started in me here last year. And it started something that's really been changing my life and our entire university. Um, which is incredible because, you know, we didn't know anybody here. We just showed up and we're like, hey, will you pray for us uh, before we go minister to the city? And, you know, nice people here said yes. And so... <laughs> Um, really, I, I want us to, to really think about um, some things tonight before we just kind of get into the word. And, uh, and I, can, I can honestly say that when I was praying um, and I was thinking about kind of this start and this beginning, uh, it was something that was like, a, it's been a long process for me. This whole year has been about process. So I want you to think in the backdrop of your mind that we are right in the middle of the processes of God. Um, I just want us to already just frame it right now with everything that I said is just a giant process that God is taking us through. And as I begin to pray and intercede and ask the Lord, what would he say to the people here? What would he say to legacy? What would he speak? What would he reveal? What would he release tonight in this conversation that we're, we're gonna have? And uh, I felt like the Lord said, this is a community of dreamers. It's the very first thing that I felt in my heart as I was praying. And I mean, I was like, I, I, I saw like all these pictures of all these dreams in the room. And, and I was like, wow, God, like that's really, really pretty incredible. And the reason why that was so incredible was because um, right after that, I started reading through the daily office in the Book of Common Prayer, which is like a Bible reading plan. And that day was the story of Joseph. And so I was like, okay, God, you cued me in to what you want to speak to legacy. Uh, and so we're going to talk through uh, a couple dream things. Uh, I guess if you want to title this talk, it's Redeem the Dream. 
And, um, and I'm not a rhymer, but that's what I felt like the Lord said. So I just want to give you a quick little context for this, this conversation that we're going to have about Joseph and dreams. Um, last October, I was in a night of worship. And when I was in this night of worship, just going so hard, I saw this picture of dreams throughout the entire United States. And I saw that they were deflated like a balloon, like a hot air balloon, completely deflated and empty. And I was like, man, like this is so discouraging that all of these dreams have been deflated. And it was immediately that the Lord said, I am in the business of reinflating every dream I've ever given to any person who's ever lived in this season. And so as I began to be praying into that and, and focusing everywhere I went, I began to hear that same thing. The very next day, we just happened to have Brian Houston from Hillsong at Regent, and he preached a message on the dream is the destiny. And I'm like, God, you're already confirming this word, and it has not ceased since. I mean, truthfully, there was a moment in October where I was sitting down with a really good friend of mine, and they say to me, Jason, what is the dream for your life? Now, if I would think, in that, when I thought about that moment, I thought, I am absolutely living my dream. Because probably not two years ago, I was in this season where the previous director of campus ministries was serving, Regent was blowing up, spiritual things were happening, God was doing amazing things, and he left in a moment. And it was awful, it was like a spiritual dad, like just disappearing in some senses, and God really led him to something else, which is awesome. But it was this moment where all of a sudden, somehow in the craziness of God that I'm like the youngest person to ever serve in the role. I have the least amount of degrees of anyone who's ever been there. And I just didn't understand why God would put me in there. And when this person said, hey, Jason, uh, what is your dream? I was like, well, I'm doing my dream because my whole life I thought I'm gonna be a campus pastor one day, like at a university, that's my dream. Basically a campus pastor saved my life in college. I was extremely suicidal and uh, basically came in, saved my life. And so I was like, that's what I wanna be. That's what I wanna do. I wanna step into that place. And so for the past two years, I've been doing that at Regent. But the funny thing was, is I thought to myself, I thought that I would get to my dream at like 48, 49, 50. And I was 31. Wow. And so when they asked me, what is the dream? I literally thought to myself, I don't know. God, I don't know what my dream is anymore because I'm living it. I'm already living my dream. And is that it? Is that it, God? I was like so struck that I didn't have an answer. I really was really struck that I didn't have an answer. And I started thinking about how really in a lot of ways, my dream is not fulfilled, even though I'm doing everything that I absolutely love to do at the university. Like it's just not complete yet. And I know that and I recognize that. And just recently, we've been doing a 40-day prayer challenge on our campus uh, where we've been praying for five to plus things for 40 days. Today's actually day 40, uh, coincidentally. So we've been praying hard. We've got our evangelical rosaries on that we're praying through all of our beads um, at 7.14 in the morning and 7.14 at night uh, that God would do ridiculous things. And in... Yeah, it was awesome. And I mean, we've already had crazy testimonies, like people's parents were on the fringe of divorce and like, boom, like they like got back together. I mean, just really, really cool stuff, like financial blessings after financial blessings. And in that season for me, I began to realize that there's a new dream and my dreams started to get more restoration and more redemption over this last 40 days. And so really what I want us to walk through is the life of how basically Joseph went through this exact same process that I'm in. And then I'm hopefully gonna lead us to the point where, where I'm at in my life and where Joseph is in the story, and uh, hopefully you guys are gonna love this. So can we just pray real quick? And then we're gonna just see what God wants to do. Yeah. So Father, I just ask right now, in the name of Jesus, that you would start a work that you've already been doing a new thing, something different, God. I pray for a reinflation of dreams. Lord, I just pray that in, in your name, God, under your name, that everything would happen the way it's supposed to happen and that nothing would remain deflated. So Lord, we just honor the fact that you're in the business to redeem dreams tonight. And Lord, we believe that you're gonna speak in a specific, powerful, and special way to every person here, whether regent or legacy. And so Lord, I pray that you would even speak to me as I bring the word that you've shared with me. Lord, I thank you so much for the dream and for, its, the, for the reality that it's so much bigger than we yeah. could possibly imagine. Yeah. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. 
So one of my big things when I'm talking to people is that I think that defining words is really important because if I, don't, if I tell you what a dream is, you already have your own preconceived notion of what a dream looks like. But I wanna just use one Hebrew word, if that's okay. I know we used a couple today in worship, so I'm like, oh, Hebrew's friendly here. Um, and I am a big Bible nerd. Um, and so the word is halam, okay? And that's the word for dream. And when I looked it up, I was expecting to find something really unique and really interesting. But what I found instead is that the word dream means to make something healthy. Or it's something to make something whole. Or it's to make something strong. Or to press firmly on something. Or to bind something together. So when we begin to talk about dreams, I'm not just talking about the thing that comes up in your head when you fall asleep at night. What I'm talking about is the things that God is trying to bring into the earth that will bring wholeness, that will bring a sense of unity, that will make things fat and healthy and huge and massive again. That's what dreams are. They're not something that's just something that you think about when you're sleeping at night. It's much bigger than that. So walk with me as we go to Genesis 42. And we're just going to read like three verses probably, or three little sections of verses tonight and talk through it. It says in Genesis 42, 8, And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And in this moment, I think that each one of us is confronted with the reality that probably at one point or another, you have had a dream that you forgot and then something triggered it to bring it all back to your memory. Some long distant thing that you thought about maybe as a child or a young adult, bam, smacks you in the face out of nowhere and out of really no understanding of why it hit you then, there, why. And then I realized that probably a lot of the reason why we forget our dreams is because dreaming is really hard. See, when you start dreaming about things, you immediately are coming into this moment where you're like, this is gonna be risky, this is gonna be challenging, this is gonna be tough. You know what, I'm probably gonna offend some people with what I think the dream is. I mean, honestly, a lot of times dreams end up bringing like all hell into your life and you're like, what is going on? I thought this was a dream, not a nightmare. You know, and there's these moments where you're so frustrated because they seem to cost you everything. And most often they cost you people. That most often your dreams don't cost anything more than the people who are in your life. It's sometimes parents, it's sometimes siblings, it's sometimes best friends, that these people seem to be the ones who really have a frustration about the dream that you have. And it's tough. So in some ways it's almost easier to live with deflated dreams, right? It's almost easier to be like, eh, less than is fine. But I really believe that God is speaking to us that we are looking for a new dream, a dream that we didn't know about, a dream that has been there, but we forgot like Joseph. He remembered when he came in contact with his brothers. What's the dream? What's the dream for Joseph? If you'll turn back just a few pages, Genesis 42, eight through nine, we hear a little, I'm sorry, not... 42, 8 through 9, a little farther back to 37. And it says in 37, starting, we're going to start in verse 1 and read a few. It says, And Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. He said, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. 
Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. I think a lot of times when we realize the dream, the dream is always about family. There is never a dream that you have that is not about the family of God. The reason why that's so important to us in this passage particularly is there's a few interesting things in the life of Joseph that we have to take note of to understand his dream and why it took all of this stuff for him to remember the dream. The very first thing in the passage that it talks about is it says that he was the son of his father who was of an old age. Now, honestly, I was very confused when I read that. I said, I don't understand why that's so important and why anyone would care that he was the kid that he had when he was old. And then I did some research. And in my research, what I found is when somebody says that, it means that they recognize something in themselves is also in you. That it's almost like we would say that person is an old soul. It's like the old man Jacob looks at Joseph and he says, he's an old man, even though he's young. He's 17 years old at this point, and Jacob is well, well into his life. So there's this understanding that Joseph had a certain amount of wisdom and he had a certain amount of observational ability that was something that was non-normative for a young person, but was very normal for an old guy. And I think for us, a lot of times, that's what happens at the start of a dream. The start of the dream is that we look a whole lot like our parents. The start of the dream is that your parent pours everything into you so that you might become that thing you've always wanted to be. Maybe they pay for things. Maybe they sign you up for classes. Maybe they pay for club soccer. Maybe they're the person who gives you music lessons. That they are the ones who begin to start the dream because they see something in you that's in them. And that's why they love you. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage. What's also interesting in this passage is that he's given a robe. Now, honestly, Bible, robes, authority, we all know that. We get it. Oh, cool, the robe, it's an authority thing, restoration of authority, all this stuff. But what I think is so interesting about this is that this old man gives this robe that is literally a patchwork quilt to him. Basically saying, you have the ability to wear authority in more places than just one kind of fabric. A lot of times early in our lives, we are confronted with the reality that God has knit multiple pieces of fabric into our lives to minister and to do. And many times other people hate us for that. They're frustrated because they don't have that. But at the same time, I think that we all have that. I think that every person has a certain patchwork robe that they carry to walk in the authority in the earth to continue the dream of family wherever you go and whatever you do. You know, the funny thing in this story is that really the dream wasn't offensive to his brothers beyond one thing. It's that they didn't like that their posture wasn't the same as this young boy. They were frustrated that their position in life was preventing them from being something great. But the truth is, I believe for many of us, is that we're in positions where God has specifically placed us, whether it's in our church, in a university, wherever, where he is trying to say, I am posturing you to be somewhere that you didn't even think you could be postured in. There was never a moment that a 17-year-old boy imagined ruling over his siblings. There's never a moment where that occurs. I mean, the truth is, is I work with 17, 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, and the reality is, is they're never like, yeah, Jason, I'm gonna have your job one day. 
Like they don't normally do that. So in those moments where somebody does kind of confront you and say like, I wanna be like you, you're like, oh, okay. And it's not, it's not that I'm mad they wanna be like me. A lot of times it's, a, it's my pride. You know, it's like, oh, you think you can be, you know, you get that attitude a little bit and that's where the offense comes in. And truthfully, I think it's really sad in some ways that Jacob had the same thing happen too. That the brothers clearly were like, the brothers were like Jacob just as much as Joseph was. Although Joseph might have become like his father in the ways of wisdom and observation, his brothers had picked up a brawling mentality from Jacob. A competitive reality from Jacob. I mean, forget not who Jacob is and that he is a stubborn, wrestling deceiver who is always mad that his posture seemed lower than his brother. So in some ways, in the story, we are all deeply connected to our brothers, our fathers, our sisters, our mothers in the dream of God And the reality for each one of us is that we have a choice to either be offended by them or them be offended by us, or we have an opportunity to submit to what God is doing in the dream. You know, I think what's interesting in this story, for me, one of the things I was struck by is when you think about people in the world right now who are living the dream, who are like completely obsessed with the dream, the dream is normally only about them. When's the last time you saw a biography that had more than one person on the cover? (laughs) When's the last time you saw a building or a corporation named after multiple people? Our dream mentality that we've bought into from the world says that my dream is about me and it's not about family. But the funny thing is, is that Joseph stands in this epoch of time where he recognizes that his father Jacob before him and his father before him Isaac and his father before him Abraham had a dream, a vision, a reality that God was inviting him to and Joseph said yes and all hell broke loose. It started first in the family and it didn't stop there. His life is crazy and I don't even have time to touch on the prison and the process and all of that that happened. But it continues throughout your life. You will be frustrated, offended. People will always be mad at you for the dream if you buy into the dream of God. The truth is, is that the heart of God's dream is always to make the family bigger. See, that's what all of the covenants are there to say is that this thing is never big enough. Every, there is, I love to say this to people because I have like this analogy where if I know you, you come into my heart. It's based on this dream that God gave me uh, where basically I saw this giant building of my life and, um, and I literally was living in the closet and didn't even know that I was like chilling in this closet and God's like, there's so much more and there are all these doors in there and every single person I knew had a door and they had like this little piece of my heart and I really believe that's who, how God's heart is as well. And I feel like a lot of times we need to realize that there's always room for one more. That when it comes to God and when it comes to your dream and when it comes to family, there's always a need for one more. That that's really, in a lot of senses, what God's dream is and what God's heart is in this thing is that there is always room for the person you think doesn't deserve it or doesn't need it or shouldn't be allowed to have it. I mean, I think for us, we get frustrated not just when other people are offended at us, but when we see Joseph's rise because we're mad. We're like, this is unfair. Why did he get that opportunity and I didn't? Well, maybe if you trust the process, you'd realize you're Joseph too. Wow. Come on. The dream realized. Genesis 42 tells us about how Joseph basically ends up rising to ridiculous power. Okay. We know that there's a lot of there's a lot of content that I'm not covering where basically he shows the ability he has for wisdom and observation is something that moves him from basically great jobs to terrible jobs back to great jobs in another sense. I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes it takes crappy jobs to get you to the good jobs. 
Don't be frustrated when you're 17, 18 years old trying to get a job and nothing's working or you graduate from college and you're really mad because you're like, I'm supposed to make it big. And everyone's like, yeah, you can clean the toilets. I always tell my students my first job I ever had in a church was literally wiping toilet seats. And I, oh, it was awful. And, and vacuuming in the sanctuary where people like, would bite their fingernails and they'd be on the floor. I'm like, yep. what are people doing? Like, this is <laughs> gross, you know? But it was like in that place where you're like, okay, God, fine. Like if this is the pathway, the process to the dream, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. For us and for Joseph, in some ways, he becomes the man in, in, in all of Egypt. Now, what we forget a lot of times is that Egypt is literally like the, one of the biggest empires, truthfully, in history. It's one of the largest ones, one of the most powerful. I mean, they decimated when they would come into a situation. And he comes in being this non-national person who came from prison, and he ends up all the way to the point where he is second in charge of the entire nation. Let's just read a few verses in Genesis 41, 37. It says, And Pharaoh said to his servant, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Guys, that's a big deal in the Old Testament to start talking about people walking in the Spirit. I mean, how about that? Be a prototype wherever you go where the Spirit of God is the marker on your life more than anything else. I mean, that's a challenge in and of itself. But the truth is, as Pharaoh says to him, since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. Bingo, back to the beginning of the dream that it was all about his wisdom. Pharaoh now recognizes it and appoints him to a position. Then Pharaoh says, he goes on to say, you shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of of Egypt. He goes on to put the signet ring on his finger. He goes to put the robe on the guy. I mean, Joseph is literally the top person probably in that society. There was not a single person who did not know who Joseph was. He rose out of the midst of this dream and forgot it along the way. See, a lot of the time when you think you know what the dream of God is for your life and you only have a snapshot of it or a slice of it, you'll get to that point and wonder, is that all? There was nowhere really higher for him as a Hebrew person to go in this nation there wasn't, he, it's like not like he could be a Pharaoh. He maxed out the dream of God. He maxed it out to, to the fullest extent. And it was so funny because in the passage, if we go right on over, basically a famine happens and we go to that passage where we start at the beginning and Joseph recognized his brothers and they didn't recognize him and Joseph remembered the dream that he had dreamed of them. He basically remembered because they did exactly what happened in the dream. It says that they bowed, their posture changed because they didn't know he, who he was. They were completely in disbelief with all of this. And I think that it's really awesome and really encouraging to us that when you feel like the dream is partial, push further. That when you think that it's right on the edge of being the biggest, greatest thing, what matters to Joseph in this story when he recognizes his brothers, when he remembers and realizes that it's the family that he came from, because I'm sitting here thinking, you're ruling Egypt, you're not even thinking Hebrew anymore, you're thinking Egyptian. You're thinking in a way that is so, so contradictory to the way that you were raised, to the way that you've been brought up, to the way that you've been trained to understand Understand life that you've gone so far that it takes a sibling, it takes a parent, it takes a brother, it takes a sister to remind you and jock your memory that you realize the dream was always the family. It was always the family. The dream was about who? The family. It wasn't about Joseph as much as it was about the family. See, we forget so many times in the story that they are all sheaves too. They're exactly like Joseph. They're all sheaves. It's about the family. They're all stars. Come on. I don't think you believe that everybody is a star in here, but you're all stars. 
I think for us, we find ourselves in this place where we need God to show up and do some redeeming of the dream because it just isn't good enough. Man, we've maxed it out. And I mean, in some ways I feel maxed out. In some ways I'm like, man, I'm doing this job at Regent. It's amazing. But now I'm having to dream what else is next? What's the bigger thing, God, that you wanna do? What's the thing outside? Or maybe what's the smaller thing? It's not always just about the bigger thing. Sometimes, you know, with Joseph, it's the worst thing, prison, you know. Hopefully God doesn't take me there. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but in, in some senses, I think for each one of us, we realize that our dream, if accomplished with our abilities, will always lead us with an inadequacy. That if you think you can accomplish your dream with how good you are at something, how special you are, what your gift mix is, your talent, what your personality is, you will always come up short to what God's real dream is for you. I mean, I know in my life that I'm pretty good at administration, I'm pretty good at discipleship, I'm pretty good at these things, but I guess what I'm not good at, I'm not a great preacher because I haven't been doing it that long. So I'm like in this process where I'm like, okay, my max is right here, I can preach to my kids, they're good. But going to another church and preaching, terrifying. <laughs> going to a church outside of my state, even more terrifying, you know? Talking in front of one of my best friends, terrifying. You know, you're just like, God, I, I am, I'm terrified at that peak point. But when I start realizing that it's about family, everything changes. That's really the truth. It all just fades away. And what I love in this passage that's just brilliant to me is that it paints the picture that family is the thing that God's looking for. And in, in order for us to paint the portrait of family, as the dream of God, it requires one thing. One thing for your dream to move from deflation to hot air balloon taking you wherever you wanna go. One thing in this passage. It comes up four times within a few chapters. The truth is, is that your dream will never be inflated unless you live from the core of who you are. You have to live from the place of compassion and mercy. In the, in the passage, I just, I, it's overwhelming, 43, if, you, if you're reading along with me. Basically, he's already provided everything his brothers need. He's given them everything they need to survive the famine that's going on. He says, he says to them, is my brother, is, is a brother alive? And then he goes on to say, is a father alive? Because the whole time, his longing is not to be second to Pharaoh, it's to have his dad and his brother back. Yeah. Far too many of us have failed in our relationship with God in some ways because we have forsaken our fathers, our brothers, our mothers, and our sisters. Wow. And it takes a moment of compassion and a moment of mercy to strike you in a place that's awkward, uncomfortable, and offensive that will say you have to go back to them or you have to call them to you. And they won't even recognize you because you are so different than who you were when you were a boy 17 years old in the field. And it'll be frustrating and difficult and hard. But in the passage, he says, is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father is well, he's still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son. And he said, is that your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me about before? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. Wow. See, this is the kind of thing that we need in order for our dreams to be inflated. You've got to start learning how to go into the chamber and start weeping over that brother, sister, mother. Maybe it's a child that you have from an old relationship. I, don't need, I just feel like there are so many relationships that we might just have to go to that place and intercede with compassion and mercy and cry for them. My parents are first-generation Christians, and so I have a huge family of people 
who are not serving and following the Lord. And, and one of my beads is that they will come back to the Lord. I've been praying for 40 days. God, break in on my family. Just break in to their lives. Like, it doesn't matter what it takes. God, please just break in. You know, my parents have been in ministry for 35 years. And I'm just like, God, break into their church so that it wouldn't be just like this little church in Suffolk, but it would be, which is like a peanut town, but that it would be like this church that everybody wants to come to. After 35 years, you've got to have some compassion for those people. My goodness. I'm like, you know, your whole life, you're like, man, I don't want to be like my dad. Like, this is the worst thing I could ever be. You know, I'm like, don't be like dad. And then I find myself going, man, the word that like half the people that I know use to define me is the word that everyone defines my dad by, faithful. I'm like, man, I have to own that. Because in the place of compassion, you start owning the dream. Not just your dream. But the family's dream. See, because it's not just that my dad is faithful, but it's that the God of my father is faithful. And therefore, I must also associate myself with my father in order to associate with my father. It's too easy to break the people that we come in close proximity with because we're frustrated at them or they're frustrated with us. But the truth is, is that when you push away your brother and your father, you push away your brother and your father. How can you walk in the dream of God if you're not connected to your brother Jesus? How can you walk in the destiny of God if you're not connected to him in everything he wants? It takes compassion. It takes mercy. It takes this place in you that is awkward, uncomfortable, and frustrating, that is emotional, and it just causes for all your guts to be on display to everybody. That's where the dream happens. That's where the dream is birthed. Because the truth is, is that word for mercy is also the word for womb. And if you want to birth what God is doing, you have got to carry the pain and carry the hurt of generations before you. And instead of pushing it away, instead of rejecting it, saying, God, it's your thing. And now I want you to do it in me like you did it through them. The moment that you realize that Joseph's biggest desire is for his family is the moment that you realize that's the only success story he wants. The truth is, is once he found out that his father was alive, he said, I don't care what it takes, bring him to me. I know he's old. I know he's decrepit. Please bring him to me. And when they tell Jacob, you know what Jacob's wish is? He says, I just wish that my son Joseph would close my eyes. Because in his old age, he left all of that offense. And the truth was, is he just wanted his boy back. Many of us, our parents just want us back. Our brothers just want us back. Our sisters just want us back. They're tired of the exhaustion They're tired of being separated. They're tired of family rifts. The truth is, is that's been the enemy's device from the very first brothers, is to break the family apart. I wonder if we'd buy into the dream of God that would say, I will have mercy and compassion. I will feel so strongly about my family that I don't even care if they're the worst family in the world, that I'm gonna go to the chamber and cry for them. Because it's God's dream for them too. And maybe, just maybe, you're like Joseph and you're sitting there in front of all of your family and they're so upset that now you're in a position of power and might and influence and they come to you and it says, 
then Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him. In chapter 45, he said, make everyone go out from me. And so the one stayed with him, but Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that all the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. He cried so loud that his neighbors heard him weeping over his family. And in this moment, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. And he says, come near to me, please. He says, don't you realize that all of this thing was God's dream? Because it says in verse seven, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. There's this moment of forgiveness that comes from bowels of compassion and mercy that demands you, that demands you to forgive the family that you have. And in that moment, what happens is that he goes so far to say, don't you understand that God has made me a father to Pharaoh and a Lord of all his house and ruler over the land. He basically says, I have walked as a father in all of this situation. And Benjamin is my son because he's identified with the father and Pharaoh is looking to him as his father. I mean, can you imagine if our president looked to a young man as his father who wasn't the same nationality? This is groundbreaking. This is life-changing and shaping that when you move into the place of God's dream for your life, every single time what occurs is that you end up being in a position to exhibit the family. That the dream of God is that you would reveal family, whether you are in the wickedest generation or the worst nation on the planet, your dream is to live as family. And I feel like for so many of us, we get into these moments where we're frustrated and irritated and offended and, and we're just disgusted. But if we would begin to go to the place of compassion and mercy and forgiveness and allow all of those feelings to come forth, that that energy, that movement with compassion we see with Jesus is what changes the world. And that the movement of God is what's going to inflate your balloon again so that you would realize you're, you were made for things much bigger and greater than this. On, I think for us that we just, we get so disconnected from the dream because we do forget that it's about family. I really just think that for me, my story, my life, in a lot of ways is this. I mean, I went through years. My middle brother and I, um, I got saved around 15. He didn't get saved until he was 18. Pretty much hated me for like three years, those three years when we were like both in the house at the same time because I loved God and he didn't. And it was frustrating and it killed me that he didn't really love me. And, and it was just one of those things where you're just absolutely heartbroken over. He got radically saved. Praise God for, you know, this, this sweet pastor's son that led him to the Lord when he was 18 years old. And I realized that in a lot of ways, my dream with my brother started right when he was leaving. Because five years ago, he moved to Nashville after working for four years in Virginia as a radio producer. And he moved here to Nashville to be a talk radio show radio producer. And he was doing that. And honestly, guess what? He peaked. He was at the highest position he could be at. I mean, you can't go any higher than a producer for the show that he's on, but to be the guy who's who the show's about. So, you know, and so Nick is in this moment where he's like living in Nashville, you know, serving locally in his church, like... He's this dynamite guy that's been to Bible college. He can preach and like no one knows because they just think he's a radio guy. And so he's at his peak and at his moment. And all of a sudden, God decides to disrupt things in this crazy way where out of, literally out of nowhere, somebody calls him up and he says, hey, I want you to come down and interview for a student ministries position in Daytona Beach, Florida. My brother and his, his, uh, and his wife, they fly down there, literally like by the end of, it, this happened in October, the last weekend of October, by January they were there. Wow. Nine years of him having the family ministry in his heart and literally 
one moment, it changed everything. And I remember when he told me that he was going into ministry, I just bawled because I know that that's our family ministry. My mom and my dad are pastors. Like we know that our family dream is ministry. And I just am so excited because I'm going down to his church in April and I'm going to minister at his church. So now my, me and my brother are ministering together. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm at, I, I still serve in my dad's church, even though I'm a pastor at Regent. Uh, I serve every Sunday as his worship leader, willingly. It's like the best thing for me. I love it so much to just serve my parents and love my parents because I know that the dream isn't just about me. And it's not about just what I want to do. Because, sure, I can have great aspirations. And I can have great ideas of what God wants for me to do. But the truth is, is that God always wants it to be about family. There's never a moment that you're not in a position where God is inviting you to be part of the family. And to bring everybody else with you. I really believe that if we would be people who would really move in mercy and compassion, what we would find is that we would be in positions where everything changes in our family. I mean, I don't know if you even thought about this or realized this, but literally he protects an entire nation from being destroyed because it wasn't his dream. Joseph never dreamed his dream for himself at the beginning, remember that. You don't dream your own dream for yourself. God's dream is in you from the very formation of who you are in your mother's womb, in her mercy, in her grace and compassion, you are birthed into the dream of God. And we now too are postured to be the same. I just want to pray for us. I want to pray that God would break in with mercy and compassion. This is my my final little story that I want to tell you. I was sitting, I think, right where Danielle was sitting. Uh, a year ago on Tuesday, it will be a year ago, and uh, Lyle and Allison were here, and uh, Justin uh, was here as well, uh, Teal. And they were sharing with us about, you know, human trafficking and about Nashville and ministry and, you know, all these different pieces. And, um, and uh, when I was here uh, on Sunday, I'd actually got this prophetic picture for this house. I don't know if you guys even remember this. And, um, and, I, and I didn't know anybody, so you're like that guy. You're like, I'm not giving a word like in a place I've never been. Like You're like, God, I refuse to operate in prophetic ministry unless I know the people, which is a good practice, by the way. And for three days, basically, I just got completely wrecked because I felt like there was just such a vision, uh, such a dream of God for this church. And um, we were in this room and we, we always like to pray for the ministries that we work with at the end. And so um, we go to pray for them and I'm sitting right where my wife is sitting. And the, I hadn't felt this in probably years, like two or three years. Um, I just started weeping profusely, like uncontrollably. Like I, my students who were here on the trip, they're like, oh my gosh, like, is he okay? And I'm, I start shaking violently. And I begin to give this word of the Lord, like over, over this house. And, uh, and I just was so moved with compassion. And really the, the amazing thing about that is that that had been something that defined my life when I was 15. That when I was 15 years old, I would cry for my classmates because they didn't love God. And I knew that his dream was that they would all come home. And I knew that in seasons of my life where God did the most in me, it would always be a season of compassion, mercy, and tears, always. Every single time, there's, there's never been a moment in my life where the tears that I cried did not create the river for God to flow. And I really believe that for some reason, and I would say even in the charismatic church, we get real sticky about our family still. I don't know why it is, but we get, it's almost like this pride thing comes in and we get real sticky about our families where we wanna be something else or we, I don't know, we wanna do something different maybe. And I just feel like God's like, don't you realize that you're actually breaking the dream apart? You're, you're preventing the dream from really coming forth unless you would buy into your family. And so um, as I cried and I wept up here and then like even after that, we got in the car and I was like still bawling. Like, I mean, I was just a mess. And, um, and the same thing happened to me last Sunday as I started prepping kind of for coming here. 
is I was talking to my wife and I was like, I just feel like my heart is like outside of my chest and I don't understand it and I don't understand, you know, I don't know what's going on. And I've just been seeing God this whole last week just bring this new sense of compassion for his family, not just for legacy, but for the earth that people would begin to realize that the thing that Jesus moves in the most is mercy and compassion. He can't help but to be like, I know my dad wants them and I want them too. And so I just want us to pray because I, I do believe that there's a grace. I really do. I believe there's a grace for mercy and compassion. Um, I once got called Jeremiah, which is awesome. The crying guy. Um, who like, you know, preaches for 40 years and no one gets saved. But his, his heart was that the dream of God was better than seeing momentary moments of salvation. You know, and maybe that's what we have to do. Maybe you're the guy who prays your whole life for your family to get back together. Maybe you're the person who's like, I refuse to be, relent, I'll just be relentless about this thing until God does this thing. And so um, I wanna pray um, for mercy and compassion, but I also wanna pray for a few people that I think the Lord put on my heart, if that's okay, pastors. Um, is there a girl who sings on our, your worship team, she wasn't one tonight, who has blonde hair? Hi. Literally, the Lord's like, blonde, like worship leader. And I just, I felt really strongly that the Lord says, this is a season where the wind of the spirit is blowing you from east to west. And I don't know exactly what that means, but I really feel like you kind of need to get your sails ready um, because I think a move is coming. And I think you've known it for a while, but that you've been hesitant to like really commit to it. Um, but just go for it. Because I really feel like the God, the Lord is just like, I'm just gonna blow wind all over that thing. It's gonna be awesome. And know that that's really the dream. Like in some ways, your whole life was that dream. And now it's the reality. But now the dream has to get bigger. And that this is the season for that increase to come, for you to begin to mourn and cry for the things that you know are really deep down in there, but you haven't fully seen them happen here. So, um, man with the thick glasses, you're the only guy on the, yes, on the right side, right in the front. I felt like the Lord said, he's gonna bring a financier for your dream. I don't know what your dream is, bro. I don't know, maybe you don't even know what it is yet, but I believe that the Lord is gonna to begin to put you in pivotal relationships where people are gonna give you the finances that you need to do the stuff you wanna do. And that the things that you've been like, man, if I just had that, then I would get here. And I just, I really felt like the Lord said, there's just a real honor on you that you're gonna start being recognized by a lot of people in the area because they're gonna recognize the grace that's on your life, the favor that's on your life. And the Lord says, I will finance the dream, I will. Like, don't be discouraged. I will finance the dream. Um, I also felt like um, that in this church, particularly the Lord really wants to increase the spirit of peace. Um, I don't know if there's any swirling that's going on that's not peace, but I saw everybody in the room with green feet um, and that everyone had these green feet and everywhere they walked, basically peace would grow up. And so I just really wanna, I felt like the Lord said that this is an increased call for reconciliation and to even begin to prayer walk in the communities that you're in and begin to prayer walk around the places that you desire for God to give you and grant you peace because he's gonna grow peace. The gospel of peace will come forth from your feet. Um, does 1453 mean anything to anyone? 1453, no? Cool. Um, how about Greenway Run? Does anyone live on Greenway Run? Is there a Greenway Run in Ash? A path. Okay, cool. Well, I just kept hearing Greenway Run, and um, I don't know who necessarily this is for, but I, I think it has to do with the peace thing. I think that has to do with the expansion of the peace that God's doing, is that he wants to make it as broad and as wide as Greenway Run. So um, pray into that. Uh, and then the last thing that I saw, and I feel like this is actually for Regent too, which is really fun and cool, is I saw every person in the room having a crown spinning over the top of your head at like hydro speed, like the fastest speed you can think of, light speed, I mean. And um, I saw crowns with all of these points on it, these really, like really tall points, and, uh, and it was spinning. And the reason why it was spinning is I felt like the Lord saying, I am commissioning you tonight to take the crown of my authority, like Joseph, to take a crowned place and where you're at. And the reason it spins is because it's an indication of what God's throne does. It spins, he spins around. It's like all these swirling, flying things. And that wherever you go, remember that you've been crowned to live the dream. That you've been crowned 
in LA to live the dream. You've been crowned in every part, East, North, South, Nashville, to live the dream wherever you live. And so we're just gonna pray into compassion and mercy right now and pray into all those things I felt like the Lord put on my heart. Um, one more I just remembered is Allison, I saw, um, I joke with Lyle, I was like, I feel like I have, I don't know Allison at all, by the way. Like I know Lyle, like one of my best friends and literally a stranger. Like we, we I mean, we've talked like 30 seconds. And, uh, but I've had like multiple prophetic words for you and think the Lord just always brings things uh, towards Allison. And I saw you, Allison, with a red kimono, like kind of, kind of a dress sort of, but it was, I mean, it was red. And I love that you're wearing red tonight. It was like, thank you, Jesus. And then there's like red on your bottle. And then on the microphone you were using, there was red. On the bottom, I was like, okay, red kimono. And I felt like the Lord said, that this has been a season where you've been frustrated that your passions haven't been really released. And then the Lord said, I'm clothing you with passion again. I'm clothing you with the passion to do the things that are in your heart and that you won't have to wait for the next season because I think that that's the challenge. You're like, I don't know how to do it. And the Lord said, I'm clothing you with passion in this season to do the things that are in you. Don't be discouraged. Don't think this is impossible. The dream is bigger than that. And the truth is, is he is, he literally put it on. And the funny thing was, is that I remembered that a red kimono um, is typically what they wear on their wedding day. And I felt like the Lord said, I'm gonna marry myself to you in your passion. I'm gonna marry myself to you in your passion and that you'll know that it's not gonna be something Lyle can do or you can do, but it's gonna be his marriage to you in this season that's gonna release the passion of the Lord that's in your life for this season. So let's pray into compassion. If you wanna receive it, that's cool. If you don't, that's cool. If you want it, just throw your hands up. We're just gonna ask God to do it. I'm not gonna lay hands on anybody because Jesus does more stuff than I can. So Father, we just ask that all of your mercy, all of your compassion, Lord, all of the tender feelings of your heart for people would be released in Nashville. God, it would be released in every individual. God, that they would sense the fullness. God, they would sense all of the energy. They would sense all of the working within them. God, that they would sense the dream that you want to release in the earth. God, the dream of family. So Father, we call our family home. In Jesus' name tonight, every single person who does not love you, God, Lord, we call them back. Lord, we call every extended member. God, we call every person who's left this church to come back, God. They are our family too. God, I pray for every student at Regent, God, who feels like they are not in the family. Lord, I pray that they would feel the family of God on their life. Lord, we just ask that you would crash in our lives with a dream that is ballooned bigger than our bodies. Lord, that our hearts would explode and overflow and that God, that it would be our mercy and it'd be our compassion that would launch the balloon, God, of what you wanted to do and dream. So God, will you just move in us powerfully, God. Stir deep in our bodies. Stir deep, God, in our hearts for the salvation of the world for compassion and mercy in the earth, God. We just love you and we bless you and we thank you, God, that this is always your dream. It's never ours. It's never what, just what we want. It's what you want. So God, we speak family over legacy. Lord, the truth is, is there's no such thing as legacy unless you're in a family. And so God, we just ask that that would be the reality that Lord, a year ago, you told me that this would be a place where they would reestablish family in Nashville, which is a place that does not honor family. God, I pray that that would still be the same word you spoke a year ago. Back to them again. Family is the reality and dream of God for Nashville. In Jesus' name, we just ask all of these things. Let's all stand together, please.
So as we prepare just to dismiss everyone and send you guys out tonight, um, I just want to sort of come behind Jason and just affirm and publicly amen the message that he just gave. For me, I'm a disaster. Like, I'm, I got snot. That's snot all over my shirt right here because I don't know, man. I'm just, I'm wrecked, dude, seriously. I don't know what the most appropriate response would be for us right now as a whole, as a community, but I know that a good one is always giving people the opportunity to further break at the feet of Jesus. And so if you want to come to the altar right now just because you feel like you have some unfinished business uh, tonight with the Lord, then I just want to invite you to do that right now. And I don't really want you to think twice about it or hesitate. Just come on up. If you want to receive prayer, there are people here that are ready to pray for you. They're going to be wearing badges, but you don't have to look for them. If you just want to meet Jesus at the altar, you can just come up and you can pray, all right? We're going to make space for that to happen right now. So just come on up. And Jesus is going to continue to minister to you now. And we just respond. We're responding to this word that Jason has shared with us tonight. I, I really do believe that it wasn't just a word that, that he prepared to share with us. I think it was a word that God had for us as a family and as a community. Because I really think that it put language to a lot of what we've been feeling. Some of us for even years. Years of what we've been talking about and proclaiming. So if you want to come, just come on up now. Don't, don't hesitate. Just come on up now. If you need to leave, I'm not going to do the benediction prayer to dismiss you. You're just dismissed, okay? We say be blessed. We love you guys. If you need to leave, you can go. But for anybody else who would like to stay a bit longer and pray, just going to have you come up. Uh, I don't know if Casey is still here or, here or not or if... if if, if she would like to come and, and play, and come and play and sing. If the whole crew wants to come, that's fine. I just knew that she was playing and singing. I know Michael's been feeling bad. So yeah, if you are a part of the ministry team tonight, I just want to invite you to come and pray with people if you're not up here yourself. If you want to receive and you are on the ministry team, all bets are off, just come up, just receive, all right? Don't worry about that. But we're going to sing a song together and just worship for a bit longer. But feel free to hang out as long as you'd like. If you want to sit where you are now, if you want to turn around in your seat and just make that an altar privately between you and the Lord, that's fine. If you want to pray where you are, that's great. But if you do want to hang out and chat, then please do that in the back or out in the foyer. So that that way this place can stay a place of prayer, all right? So. Thanks for subscribing to the Iris Nashville podcast. We'd love to hear back from you. If you don't mind, log into the iTunes store and leave us a rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more accessible our podcast is to new listeners. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. And God bless.